ShishMed members play a critical role as to the organizations and communities they serve. This special edition of the ShishMed podcast is part of the COVID-19 Conversations series, featuring members' stories and resources in an effort to provide insight into how some organizations are managing this unprecedented crisis. Welcome, everybody. I'm here with Jeff Kraut. He serves as the Executive Vice President for Strategy and Analytics at Northwell Health and is the Associate Dean for Strategy at the Donald and Barbara Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra Northwell. Jeff's involved in strategic planning in health policy activities. He works with the provider networks, uh, works on mergers and acquisitions and other strategic partnerships, and also is responsible for the next generation of business and clinical analytics throughout the health system at Northwell. Um, Jeff is also the chair of the Public Health and Health Planning Council of New York State and has served on the AHA's Shishman board for a number of years and was also our 2017 recipient of the Leadership Excellence Award. So we're really excited to have Jeff with us today. And Jeff, in your role at Northwell, tell us about what's going on in your organization, in your community, and kind of what stage you're at, generally speaking, with the COVID crisis. Well, you know, if you think about uh, New York being the epicenter of the COVID crisis, uh, Northwell uh, is the epicenter of the epicenter uh, uh, up until recently. And, and of course, it's, it's spread more. Uh, certainly, the communities that we serve in Queens uh, is, 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 has the most cases. But I'll give you an example is that uh, we um, emergency preparedness and, and for uh, large scale bioterrorism events. This is what this health system um, had planned for as far back as 1999. We realized early on as part of our, and it was part of our strategic planning process that we were not well prepared if there was a large scale public health event. Hmm. And even before the attack on the World Trade Center, we had uh, invested in infrastructure, uh, warehousing, um, supply building to to take us through these such events and probably putting aside 9-11, um, probably during Hurricane Sandy, uh, our hospitals were the only ones not to close. Mm. Uh, you know, at least not, that's not true. Everybody, a lot of state closed, but we were the ones that were operational because we had prepared. And similarly here, uh, although I don't think we ever drilled for something on this scale, uh, we uh, our senior leadership have gone through uh, the hospital incident command structure. We we're we've been uh, the DMAT team for bioterrorism for HHS. We have a nested team here. We have a hundred bed hospital sitting in a warehouse which we've just recently deployed, and I'll come back to that in a moment. But this has been part of our infrastructure, and it was because of that infrastructure that when the COVID outbreak start, our laboratory uh, was out of the gate faster than any other health system clinical laboratory doing testing. So at the beginning of this, for the first 10, 15 days, there were only three places where you could get tested in New York. That was the Wadworth Laboratories could do the testing. Uh, this is the sa- once the samples were collected. Uh, the CDC in Atlanta and the Northwell Laboratory. So if you if you looked at March 18th, we had 33% of all the COVID cases in the state 
18% of them in the United States. And by the 31st, uh, we, we then went to about, we, we represent 9% of uh, the COVID cases in the state. Uh, I'm sorry, 9% of the nation, about 20% in the, in the state and 1.2% in the world. So our laboratory was kind of the tip of the spear for us in, um, in getting to response. And my role, um, we have a very, um, probably similar to many other health systems, the uh, incident command. So my role works in the area of dealing with the regulatory environment, the government. Uh, and obviously the government is playing a major role in it. It's not only responding and trying to shape their requests, but it's also to assist the government in, uh, in making sure our resources are available, not only to help our own institution, but to make sure that we can help others in, in a regional effort. And um, last evening, you, you may have uh, heard the governor announce that he spoke to the president and the Javits Center, which had been set up uh, with both military and state assets to open about a thousand beds, uh, they've turned to Northwell to manage that on the ground for them. We have the bandwidth uh, to do it, but I'll get into that a little about how maybe we're structured, what we've been doing, what I've been doing as a planner, and what I think others should get ready to do. I'll leave it up to you, Diane. Yeah, no, that sounds great. So it's it's definitely in a still in a state of crisis, but all that planning yeah. that you've done has well prepared you, probably more yeah. than most, uh, to deal with this. So tell us a bit about your planning team or your planning resources and how they were called upon to assist during the pandemic, um, whether it was planning, execution, how, how your role actually did shift. Sure. So uh, one of the things that... Uh, the the government did. the governor uh, issued an executive order suspending most uh, major hospital operations our health code really streamlined it eliminated the need for con uh, but still required reporting and so you, you're balancing the need for the health system to develop its plans and the need for um, state and federal authorities to know what's going on so they can assess the situation and bring whatever resources they can. So there, th that goes into two streams. We had an executive order to increase the capacity of all hospitals in the state by 50%. Mm -hmm. uh, so my planning group, in addition, uh, was supporting our operations uh, people, were responsible for planning out where are we going to add beds. And our strategy, obviously, uh, somewhat intuitive, was looking, we did not want to leave the walls of the hospital uh, as, as the first thing. We wanted to first expand within all of our clinical areas, uh, looking where that was possible. And then, um, so beds that we might have made, we might have had four bedrooms, we made two bedrooms, how do you bring those back up? Uh, recovery areas, the endoscopy areas, because we suspended elective surgery. Um, um, our lobby. Then we moved outside of our clinical areas and the planning folks helped with the operations people about where are we going to go. So, for example, one of our auditoriums, we had a 400 seat, 300 seat auditorium, all fixed seating. We ripped out the fixed seating out of that auditorium to put in beds and supplies. And I'll come back to the supply chain. Uh, 
So the planning group had to, on each step of what we did, we had to give the government a surge plan. So each surge plan had multiple levels. Level, if we hit these kind of volumes, we'd, we'd be at level one, level two, level three, level four. Uh, most of our plans went up 10 levels of, of uh, accommodating incremental volumes. And then we had to notify the state and get permission to approve those plans, which we had to be written up, explain what was happening, what we would be doing. We would submit those plans by notice. And the state, uncharacteristically, but in a crisis, really came through. Uh, sometimes within 90 minutes, uh, usually not more than three or four hours, approve those plans. And then we'd have to monitor their implementation. At the same time, so we had a group managing all of this paperwork, both internally and externally to the government, and then recognizing the big financial hit we're all taking, you needed to also make sure that all of the sites that you just got approved from the state to get approved, mm -hmm. my group also worked with our finance group to file the Medicare 855 forms to permit us and notify Medicare that we'll be billing from those sites. Okay. So, you know, those are like you say, Art. really, in the middle of all of this? Yeah. Well, guys, when you start burning, forget about a million dollars a day, we're probably burning close to a hundred million a month at, at the, a system our size. You, you, you have to dedicate a team just to collect the information you need to file a claim with FEMA. Uh, to recover as much of this as possible. Mm -hmm. And so the, the planning folks have a role in doing that. The second issue that the planning folks are working on is supplying the data and information to model the surge and the impact. Yes. Now, it, 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 in some way, you know, I'm a very practical people who know me. It's very practical. I go, guys, we need more beds. doesn't matter how many. Let's just, you know, I'd rather open up too many than too little. So the, you know, our surge planning had really was for also to help government understand when those peaks were going to come, but also to help us create demand models for supplies, for um, ICU use, ventilate, ventilator use, uh, and staffing levels. Mm -hmm. So there was a group that was put together uh, with our finance people that would use different mathematical models to kind of say, well, here's the impact. And, and I would just tell guys the, the number one critical variable that uh, was difficult to estimate was the average length of stay of these patients since you weren't really discharging people that easily at the beginning. Okay. So the discharge and, and the ICUs, not that many people were coming out of the ICUs Although we're discharging now 300 people a day to home, we have uh, right now in the hospital, um, oh gosh, about 5,000 beds filled. Uh, we usually have about 4,000 beds, a little under that, 3,800. And uh, I'm sorry, just sorry. Uh, the um, so the the. We built in about 10 days a thousand bed academic medical center, if you will. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. And you've been pretty filled. And um, 
you're mentioning the ICU care. How has the planning team helped with any of the supply acquisition or modeling out those supplies and how has that been going? Well, I, I would say a lot of this had to be um, our supply chain people. There are two There are two areas and we weren't as intimately involved in that because the supply chain was just all over the world. And as you've heard, you know, it's not only us buying supplies, it's every hospital in New York, New York State, the governments, the local county governments and the federal government all buying uh, supply chain activities. Now, now, we've gotten a little better. We we don't expect to get a lot of stuff out of the national stockpile, uh, you know, uh, but we've um, we've we've been fortunate. Uh, probably our hospital is the only one in, in New York media that you have not heard patients, uh, uh, employees complaining about they don't have access. Part of it is because we had maintained a reasonably large stockpile in general. Mm -hmm. But like many other places, you, you, for a lot of items, you move to a a kind of just-in-time inventory system where we don't tie up a lot of cash in inventory. We only did it because of the disaster planning capabilities that we had developed. But we've been holding our own. We're barely staying ahead of the burn rate uh, for the the supplies. Um, And it's it's all the obvious things. And then it's some lot of the other obvious things. There's now, you know, shortages developing for um, the pharmaceutical support that you need to keep people on ventilators, fentanyl, propanol, uh, other other medications that are the non-COVID related uh, medications and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, we'll, uh, uh, we'll see. And, and they've doing amazing thing. The, the, after the supply chain, or I would say in parallel with it, it's the staffing. Uh, you know, we had people exposed at the beginning. People had to go out on furlough. Um, the amount of time people are doing and, and, and folks, just the, uh, the sheer number of people that are dying each and every day in the hospital, the, the, the mental health toll it's taking on the workforce. I mean, we all know this is going to redefine healthcare. This moment, we're all going to be reading. You know, my career is 40 years in this business. It'll probably be defined by that moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, the people that are just starting out in planning in their 20s, uh, they'll probably have this moment to redefine it. And I'm hoping, you know, we're very optimistic because we know we're going to come through it. We know we're going to do better. And we think the lessons we're going to learn are going to improve healthcare in the future. We think we'll get rid of some of the regulatory burdens that add very little value to providing care. And I think from a planning perspective, you're also seeing, I think, the benefit of, of health systems, what they can do. Uh, and, and, you know, it's interesting. We've been bashed as an industry. Uh, for the last couple of years for a variety of very good reasons, right? We, we know there's room for improvement. But when there's a crisis, this rem- we keep reminding it through the AHA, you know, at the, at the crisis, you may think hospitals are not needed, but when there's a crisis, they're the only things that are needed by a community to keep it healthy. Mm-hmm. And you don't hear the insurance companies managing care you don't hear all these pop-up companies, Apple, Google, Amazon, you know, providing care and organizing things. It's us. We are the boots on the ground. We are the first line of defense of America's health care. 
And I think everybody's going to remember that after this is over. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's quite an outpouring of respect and appreciation in almost all communities for what hospitals are doing right now. So, and thank you for what you and your teams are doing. Um, tell me what a day in the life is right now. So you've gone through this phase of your building capacity, you're helping um, with the, the modeling and the forecasting, which I'm sure you're still doing. But what, what does today hold? What, what is your short well, planning shifting to right now? I'll, uh, let me give you uh, an example of the two or three things I'm dealing with today. Um, our lo- one of the local county departments of health just sent us a notice saying um, they are no longer going to pick up our bodies. They want all of the bodies double bagged. We we don't have enough body bags. I mean, I called them and I said, guys, we don't have enough body bags. Why why all of a sudden this, you know, you know. So I have to now get somebody got it in their mind that this should happen. They sent out a regulatory notice. This is a local community depart, uh, commissioner of health. And I have, to, I have to spend like an hour and a half kind of having this discussion, reminding them when we had the AIDS pandemic, you didn't ask us to do it. When we had SARS, you didn't ask us to do it. When we had H1N1, you didn't ask us to do it. Uh, why now? You know, tell me. Then we've we've had other inquiry. So I, I deal with these like ridiculous, like when my staff, when our our staff can't deal with some regulatory or some request, because there's an uncoordinated amount between state DOH and local counties. And we're in about five different counties. They all have authority for public health or no, not over the hospitals. They're all asking for information, which is redundant. And we even have county epidemiologic nurses calling, asking to speak to a nurse that took care of a patient because we followed that patient was COVID positive, wanting to interview them, the nurse. And we said, guys, we're not pulling anybody off the floors. So a part of my day is dealing with what I would say, well-meaning, but misdirected initiatives that are initiated by government. Okay. Uh, And everybody's, once you get to it, you do it. The second thing that I'm doing is I'm bringing up an alternative care site. So we 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 have for the last two or three days located a gymnasium in a local college where we want to um, we want to bring up a site for low acuity uh, kind of discharge planning. We're having some problems. Uh, we have some families that have refused to take their family members back when they're ready for discharge from the hospital out of fear because they have an elderly parent or something there. So we need now alternate sites where we might be able to take care of people. Our big problem is staffing. So we're working with a local community and ambulance volunteer corps that are going to get us volunteer paramedics, community, some volunteer doctors from voluntary medical staff, nurses who are going to staff this. And we're bringing up how to, how to bring up this particular site mm-hmm. and make it available for the next, at least for the next two weeks just to keep the pressure valve out of the hospitals. Uh, and, and then we would also augment it with a kind of um, enhanced urgent care for non-COVID-related issues. You know, we're still getting MIs, we're still getting stroke. People are ignoring those symptoms, and we want to encourage that they should feel safe at their sites in the community they can come into. That's so that, that's another issue I'm dealing with. And, and believe it or not, I'm interviewing 
a potential candidate for a chairmanship of one of our, you know, business has to go on. So I have an interview today with uh, uh, a phone interview with a potential candidate for one of our service line leaders. And uh, later I'm planning out, I have a board meeting uh, that I have to schedule uh, to keep our board informed. And at seven o'clock tonight, I'll do a, uh, we'll be hosting a, um, an update for our uh, board of trustees, all of our advisory groups, subsidiary boards, major donors, and community leaders to give them an update of uh, not only where we are, but what we see happening uh, with COVID. That's awesome. And my, my day starts at about seven. Uh, it'll usually end nine or 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have conference calls with my uh, colleagues, uh, Zoom, most of it is Microsoft Teams, but it's, uh, and, and we've, our group's been going seven days a week. Wow. It's, uh, it's really, uh, I had to actually pick up ventilators on Sunday from a site that uh, no longer needed them and we just didn't have transport. So I said, I'll go do it. Can I go volunteer and get in the car? Uh, well, we're we're so grateful for all the work you're doing, and gosh, I don't know how you stay resilient during these times. But please keep healthy and keep your teams healthy, and um, we'll be thinking of you. Is there any yeah. lesson learned that you'd like to share with other planners out there as we? Well, you know, I I think there's going to be a lot of lessons here, and and you know whether it's done through the planning office or or the operations office, I I just think that um, you know we're going to we're going to be when you think about the future that's going to happen mm-hmm. we now have seen the value of telemedicine you know so when you are thinking about primary care and you you know you might have thought you know the community's not ready doctors are not ready it's been a proven tool here and it, we just actually had a, a discussion this morning about rethinking our primary care strategy and how we incorporate in um, uh, telehealth in a much more aggressive model uh, that that's been going on. The the other issue I think is the um, the whole notion of how we're going to you know what's going to happen. You, you not only have to plan for the crisis, you have to plan for what happens after the crisis occurs. So we we are going to be starting on Friday a group about how do we take ourselves out of this and re. So we've delayed all elective surgery. So we're just doing some planning on how do we staff and get our operating uh, rooms back up to speed, but going seven days a week and then doing surgery on Saturdays and Sundays, uh, full schedules. We do a light Saturday usually. Now we're going to go full bore because a lot of our clinicians want to have all that backlog. Mm-hmm. So how are we going to metabolize the bolus of patients that have been delayed waiting to see? And how do we try to regain, you know, the financial benefit of that? But also what what uh, I would suggest to you, if, if you haven't, uh, each community is different. A lot of communities have gotten involved with equity-backed uh, purchases of physician practices. Mm-hmm. Uh, they made those decisions. If you have noticed, a lot of those equity-backed purchases, the doctors have been notified that uh, they're reducing their pay or not because it was all based on their revenue. So I I think we're going to have some great opportunities out there after this is over uh, to think strategically about how we build up our our business, our relationships. 
because everybody's going to be one of connected to a hospital. And it's not hospital care. It's amb- it's health system. It's ambulatory, all that stuff. So I shouldn't be hospital centric. I just happen to be right now. <laughs> so that's it, Diane. All right, Jeff. Thank you so much for taking time with us today and to our audience. Oh. Yes. I'm sorry. One more thing. You're hearing all these things that are bouncing and all these pingings that are going on in the background. So that is all of my hospital. That's the planning office communicating with each other. And in order to keep them together, we've had weekly meetings. I've actually sent them all gift cards to order in food for lunch because we usually sponsor lunch at the meeting. And they are, they're not only keeping each other informed right now, they're also, each one of them has responsibility to do a joke of the day, a brain teaser of the day. And so you you have to think about how do you keep your people connected when they're not physically located? And that's, that's, again, that's all the, everything that you're seeing, all the emails that are, all the messages that are popping up as I'm speaking are from my medical staff. Uh, from my planning staff, sure. communicating with one another. Oh, that's it's a great, great tool. Yes. Okay. You need that kind of distraction and uplifting moments in the day. All right. That's and everybody, we're still, listen, in the fall, we're all going to be together at Shishmid. <laughs> we are not going to cancel that, okay? We're hoping we're going to be there. We're hoping to see everybody there. Sounds we'll good. be a little more distant, but we'll still be there together, okay? <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Have a great day. All right. Take care, Diane. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening and know that we are thinking of you during these unprecedented times. For general updates and resources on COVID-19, head to aha.org slash COVID-19 and visit shishmed.org for a collection of specific COVID-19 resources for strategists.